I was recently asked to give a talk to a group of religious sisters, via Zoom of course, on the topic of hope and perseverance and the time of crisis that we find ourselves in. So I'd like to share that with you, perhaps as an extra to the podcasts that I normally do. So I've entitled the talk, Hope in the Midst of Crisis. And I'd like to start with a quote from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5, verse 4 to 5. St. Paul wrote, Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Notice how St. Paul puts together the human qualities, the good human qualities of endurance and character, as well as the theological virtue of hope. Theological because hope comes from the fact that God's love abides within us in the very person of the Holy Spirit. So this crisis that we find ourselves in in varying degrees around our country and also in varying varying degrees around the world because of the coronavirus, has certainly been widespread and lasting longer than what we expected or we would want. And it's brought about disruption to our lives. We know very well, Victorians certainly know it very well at the very moment, how our freedom of movement has been curtailed. And we're all very aware, even if it hasn't hit us so much ourselves, of the economic hardship that this time of crisis around coronavirus has brought for individuals as well as for the nation and for the world too. And economic hardship and worries always impact on the health and well-being of people. In a spiritual plane, we have all experienced the suspension of the celebration of the sacraments and of Holy Mass, being denied the ability to go to Mass and to receive our Lord in Holy Communion. And even now, in many parts of the country that has begun again, there is still a sense of disruption to that because it's not back to normal. There is a sense of isolation too between people, our reduced social interaction with others because of the possibility of the transmission of the virus. And I would think also that there is a real and growing sense of uncertainty amongst people, especially in the wave of the second outbreaks. And uncertainty always impacts on our happiness We've also experienced over these last months of the COVID-19 activity and restrictions, we've experienced divisions within the church. The most notable one that I can recall is that some bishops think that they can ban Holy Communion on the tongue, and others think that this is beyond their authority to do so. And this has added to the confusion and division that is within the church over other issues as well. 
So how we frame what is happening, not only saying what is happening, but how we frame it, how we look at it, is very important. We must bring the eyes of faith into operation. Otherwise we'll only view what is happening through the frame or the lens of worldly matters or of a material or social perspective. So how can we as Catholics frame the crisis in which we find ourselves? Well, I would suggest that the frame of understanding that we bring must be the Catholic understanding and appreciation of suffering. Firstly, we recall that suffering of all types is a consequence of original sin. God has not actively willed that our humanity and the society we form together be as we find it today, namely affected by an illness that can cause death and all the other crises that attend human life and community living. All that is wrong with the world and mankind has come about because of original sin, as well as the sinful choices of individual persons, including ourselves. But God permits these things to happen so as to bring good out of them, and so that he might engage men and women in cooperation with him in saving the world and bringing about the fulfilment of his kingdom. That last part is truly awesome. God does not need us to save the world, and God does not need us to bring about the fulfilment of his kingdom, but he wants us to be part with him in doing those saving tasks. So our Catholic faith does not ascribe to God the source of evil and suffering. But God is the origin of all goodness, and God never tires of coming to assist us in our needs. So our Catholic understanding must be almost like we take a step back from the crises, and we put everything in God's hands, and we allow him to take control. And we do our part to deal with what we can deal with, and leave the big things to God's almighty power. But there's a further aspect to our Catholic understanding of suffering. And this comes to us from St. Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 9, where he says that he was given the message from Christ in the sufferings that he himself, St. Paul, experienced. This message, I quote, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Note how our Lord says that his grace is sufficient. In other words, he will give us all that we need in suffering and in crisis. He will not leave us alone to fend for ourselves, but he will be abundant in grace to match the depth of our suffering and the depth of the crisis we find ourselves in. Then Christ adds that his power is made perfect in weakness. It's only when we know we are weak and incapable that there is an opening for the power of Christ to be operative. When we acknowledge our own powerless position, then in turning to Christ we allow him 
the space to perfect his power in our own weakness and need. By the way, this is the lesson of all the martyrs of the church down through the centuries. So suffering and crises are opportunities and possibilities for the grace of God to operate both within us and around us. And we should pray for that. But now we turn again to St Paul in another letter, the one to the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 24, where he wrote, In my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. This alerts us to the value of suffering as a means of conforming ourselves to Christ. In other words, we become more like Christ the more we suffer and the more we do it with him. It does not mean that there is anything lacking in the suffering that Christ endured and what it did for each of us and for the whole world. Rather, his sufferings and the merit that they hold in the eyes of God the Father are perfect and complete. It is for each one of us to acquire merit before God by the endurance of our sufferings. Our own merit is limited because we are simply a member of Christ's mystical body. But when our own sufferings are joined to the perfect and complete sufferings of Christ, then our own sufferings share or take a part of the infinite merits of Christ. So to endure suffering, to maintain peace in the midst of crisis, gains merit for us in the eyes of God, and takes a share in the infinite sufferings of Christ that he endured for the salvation of the world. It is for this reason that I would offer the view that an end to the pandemic and the good that God wishes to bring from it, the healing of the divisions within the church, are all within our scope to influence when we accept our present sufferings out of love for Christ. In a marvellous way, God has allowed us to have some influence in the outcome of these crises. Now I'd like to explore the connection between the theological virtue of hope and the natural virtue or human virtue of perseverance. Hope is a theological virtue because it was given to us at our baptism. We cannot summon up hope for ourselves because hope, to quote the Catechism from paragraph 1817, hope is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, placing our trust in Christ's promises and not relying on our own strength. Notice how the virtue of hope gives us a perspective of eternity and therefore lifts our vision above what is only of this world. Does does not that in itself enable some coping with crises? You see, we don't just see things through the lens of this world. And hope also allows us to rely not on our own strength, but to trust in Christ, to trust in the Father, 
to trust in the Holy Spirit that nothing will happen but what God has view of in his divine wisdom. Now the virtue of hope also has a human correspondence. You see, God has placed in every human heart a desire for and an aspiration to happiness. So hope keeps us from discouragement and sustains us in hard times, as well as opening our hearts not only to the eternal reality of heaven, but also in charity towards others. The natural virtue of perseverance is something that we can summon up for ourselves. We can train ourselves in perseverance. In fact, our parents did it for us when we were children. And if you are a parent, you do it for your children too. You teach them that if something is difficult and it has to be done, you just go about doing it. So perseverance to keep going is the natural ally, if you like, the natural companion to the theological virtue of hope. We keep going because our eyes are lifted above this world to the eternal reality of heaven and the total and complete and perfect happiness that heaven is. It might be helpful here too to just digress a little to mention the opposite of hope, which is the vice, if you like, because virtues and vices are opposite to each other, the vice of despair. Now some people don't understand despair really. It's a word that's perhaps used far too often. But from a theological perspective, from a faith perspective, despair is a sin against the first commandment because a person ceases to hope for his or her personal salvation from God and ceases to hope for God's help to attain it and ceases to trust in the forgiveness of his or her sins. Now we mustn't confuse that with feeling sad, being downhearted, worrying or being unsure. All of those are human and somewhat natural feelings or emotions that can come in the time of suffering and crisis. And we don't always have total control over them. But even those occasions of the natural feelings and emotions that come are occasions for deepening our hope when we offer them to Christ. So we can say, perhaps on one day, Lord, I just feel so sad. Please help me. Let us remember too that Christ, in his own humanity, experienced fear and great anxiety to the point of sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend. He experienced human suffering and human emotions as an example for us and a reason why we can call upon him to help us. And now we must mention prayer and its importance. It is both our personal prayer and the prayer of the church that keeps hope alive in us. 
The Psalms particularly abound in concrete and varied expressions of hope. For example, just to quote one, Psalm 40 verse 2, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. So in the midst of crises and suffering, we must intensify our prayer. And I would recommend the Psalms to add to your own personal prayer and devotions. We must find more opportunities for prayer in times of suffering and crisis. And we must keep doing what we have always done. The most perfect prayer, the Holy Mass, must remain part of our prayer, even if it's only via live stream or television. And if you can't receive Holy Communion, the act of spiritual communion can be made many times a day. God, who knows our sufferings and our needs, will never abandon us. Now the witnesses to faith, whom we know as the saints, can be powerful examples for us and inspiration to us when we're confronted with a crisis and or suffering. Reading the lives of the saints can be a powerful antidote to the discouragement that we might experience at this time and in all times of suffering. And that could be another thing that you could do in this time of crisis and coronavirus. If you have more time on your hand, on your hands, read some of the lives of the saints. One that I just heard of recently who is very powerful in enduring suffering in reparation for sins of the world and in reparation to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is the spiritual diaries of St. Margaret Mary Alacoque to whom our Lord appeared and gave the devotion to his Sacred Heart. Reading about the saints can be something like a spiritual vitamin pill that re-energizes us spiritually. To bring this talk to a conclusion, I want to share with you a reflection that comes upon an incident in the life of St. Joseph. He is our spiritual father, as well as Mary being our spiritual mother. And I personally have a great devotion to St. Joseph and I recommend him to all of you. St. Teresa of Avila said that she has had never met a person who had turned to St. Joseph, sincerely asking his help, who was not looked after by St. Joseph. St. Joseph can teach us many things and he will help us in many powerful ways. So the reflection that I offer today comes from that time in the life of Joseph and Mary where Mary is coming back, coming home from her visit to her cousin Elizabeth and Zechariah where she stayed for at least three months, maybe a little longer. Those who have piously reflected upon this because the Gospels are a little silent on all the details think that of course Joseph would have taken Mary to the hill country of Judah, to Elizabeth and Zechariah's house. But he would would not have stayed the whole time because he had to go back to work. And also he had to be back home in Nazareth preparing the house that Mary and he would make their home and into which 
Jesus would be born. So if he then goes to collect Mary to bring her home to Nazareth, then it's quite obvious that he would have noticed Mary was pregnant by this time. No doubt other people were aware aware of it too. Now Joseph knows that he is not the father of this child, and so he is faced with a crisis, a personal one, but also one that impacts upon God's divine plan for our salvation. Despite what others might have been saying, St. Joseph refused to believe that Mary's pregnancy was of some other man and not of God. Certainly Satan would have liked to sow this idea in his mind, but the faith of Joseph, which merged with the faith of Mary, accepted that God could conceive himself virginally of a woman, as he promised in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And a virgin shall conceive and give birth. And so Joseph entered into a test of his trust, a, tress, a test at least equivalent to that given to Adam and Eve. Not knowing clearly what God's will was, but trusting in God's divine power to do what had happened, he decided to withdraw from Mary in the quietest way possible, providing for her and her needs. He decided to withdraw so that God's divine will would be fulfilled for her and through her. You see, he could discern that God was active in all of this, but he also sensed that he was not needed anymore, so that God's will would be fulfilled. He did not dare act upon his own desires, which were to remain with Mary because he loved her deeply. He thought that following his own desires would fracture everything in such a delicate and unique unique set of circumstances. So, Sir Joseph's suffering and his anxiety now was that God seemed to have changed his mind, to to have changed his plans for him. And maybe he thought that he had really misunderstood the divine will right from the beginning. This was torture to his obedient and virginal heart. But in God's plan, a crucible of sorrow this would be that would attest him supremely fit for the great office he was to hold as the virginal father to the Son of God and virginal husband to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And then, as we know from the Gospels, came the liberating dream through which he knew that he had passed the test of trust. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary home as your wife, for what she has conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. What joy must have filled his heart. It was a joy equal to, and even greater, than the confusion and uncertainty that was there before. There were still sufferings to come, many of them, as there will be in each of our lives. But at this point, St. Joseph had received a confirmation of his vocation and a sign from God of the divine will. God will do the same for us in the gracious 
and startling way that he did for St. Joseph. The matter might be of a smaller scale, but how God speaks to us and reveals his will and his great love for us will nevertheless be real. I would recommend the constant companionship of St. Joseph in all your trials, all your sufferings and all your times of crises. And I would encourage you to turn to him in prayer. And maybe you could use the Memorare to St. Joseph, which goes like this. Remember, O most chaste spouse of the Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who implored your help and sought your intercession was left unassisted. Full of confidence in your power, I fly to you and beg your protection. Despise not, O guardian of the Redeemer, my humble supplication, but in your bounty hear and answer me. Amen. So in the midst of confusion, crisis and suffering, we are called both to hope and to perseverance. May the Blessed Virgin Mary pray for us. May St. Joseph, her loving husband, pray for us. Laudato Jesus Christus.